Welcome to Justice Rising, a podcast of the Inner Community Peace and Justice Center, where we explore emerging justice work through story and relationship. I'm your host, Cecilia Flores, and for this episode, in celebration of Latinx Heritage Month, I spend time with Giselle Carcamo, proud Peruana and community leader. In our time together, she shares stories from her life in Peru and how these moments influence the way she lives into her calling as an agent of change. Now, before you listen, here are some gems to keep an ear out for. Find inspiration in how she found growth in choosing vulnerability over comfort, and listen closely for her take on community. It's a game changer. Good morning, buenos dias to all of our listeners. My name is Cecilia Flores and welcome to Justice Rising, a podcast of the Inner Community Peace and Justice Center where we explore emerging justice work through story and relationship. And I am so excited to be joined today by Giselle Carcamo. She is the Justice for Women's coordinator for the IPJC, among many other different roles that she plays in the community. Um, And we'll get into all of those later. But buenos dias. Good morning, Giselle. How are you? Buenos dias, Cecilia. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Enjoying this day. Today's my first like official podcast episode, and I'm so excited that I get to do it with you. <laughs> yeah, what an honor. Oh my God. Well, congrats. Welcome to the team. And Thank you. Now, just kick us off. I've already spoken to you a bit, um, and I've gotten to know you. I hope to meet you in person one day soon. Um, but maybe we could just talk a little bit about what is your justice origin story? You know, everybody has a story of how they got to what they're doing today, the important things, the good things, the bad things that brought them brought them to this moment, to what they're doing now. And maybe you could share with us, you know, maybe a moment or some moments or, you know, the story behind why you do the work that you do. Wow. What a question, Cecilia. And that's not an easy one, you know? And I don't know whether you're aware that when you ask a Latina a question, (laughs) you need to be ready for a long answer. (laughs) Okay, I already have seen the the beauty in your heart. And I must um, tell you that it's quite an honor to be asked this question in English for the very first time in the 20 years that I've been here. So, um, and wow, what an honor to be asked this question and to be asked by you, by a woman of color. So I just wanted to say that before I answer. And because of that, I'm going to answer, you know, with the entire truth and just pretend that you're the only one in this world who is listening. Okay. So this is my, my gift for you. Um, as I receive the gift of the interview that you just had, and um, I honor your story as well. Thank you. So um, I grew up in Lima, in Peru. Lima is the capital of Peru in South America. And um, I will say that since the time I was a child, um, I basically assumed a certain level of acceptance of inclusion and respect to fun to function within 
a relatively wide comfort zone in my upper middle class community. So I had a, an incredible family rooted in emotional independence, self-realization, deep faith, solidarity, and also financial stability. So I, I live a comfortable life in a stable and nurturing household, free of drama. And um, <laughs> I was quite loved and respected by both my peers, my siblings, my parents. So after I graduated, I attended a, a private European Catholic school. And after I graduated from school, I attended a private Catholic University and earn a BA in psychology. And um, after my graduation, I started working in a multinational company with a very lucrative salary. But I was in a bubble. And um, even though I was aware of the gap that was existing in my country, I was never part of it until I started digging deeper and I started asking the people who help us in the family. And there comes Lulu. And Lulu, um, I carry you in my heart. You are a very wise teacher and I'm deeply honored to be able to tell um, in public how you influence my life. So I asked Lulu, she was an Afro descendant woman, powerful. She was working as a cook. I asked her to take me to her house. And Lulu said, oh no, 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 there's, no, there's absolutely no way. Miss, I can't, I can't. I was like, Lulu, I need to go. I want to go. Uh, take me to one of your parties. Take me to your birthday party. I was like, oh no, no señorita, no puedo. No puedo. And then I told her, why, Lulu? I want to go. I really want to be there. Uh, and then she said, like, you have to promise that you won't tell your parents. And I never did. <laughs> so we went. And that moment in my life changed everything for me. I was like, wow. I mean, I can't believe, you know, not the poverty, I didn't see the poverty. I saw the beauty, the strength, the resilience, despite the challenges, the despair. They were still very hopeful, cheerful. I danced and danced and danced. My parents never found out. Now they're both in heaven, probably listening to me. And thinking, oh God, I knew, <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> but Lulu transformed my life. And, and I was like, wow, there is beauty in scarcity. There is beauty in despair. There is beauty in grief. And I was, I started to question my role in society. I was like, why me? What? It's as if 
we were in the same race, but I started that race 30 miles after, you know, and they were running so hard, so much faster than me. And at the same time, I was ahead without doing a thing. And uh, I was like, God. So I start um, asking questions, difficult questions in my family. I was always the one that raised the most difficult questions at lunch and dinner. <laughs> so I was <laughs> like scary, you know? So I was like, so, you know? <laughs> and uh, I continued to thought I have everything. I want, and I, I was very grateful for all my blessings. But then something else happened in my life. I um, became ill at age 26. So I didn't know it at that time, but um, a very serious illness will be my wake up call and will mark the beginning of my new life, a life with intentionality, a life with passion, a life with love. Um, so cancer gave me the most beautiful lesson. During my stay at the hospital, I continued to reflect on social inequalities because even though I was put in the category of the unhealthy, I was very aware of my privilege. You know, I got a strong social network that connected me to the best surgeons in town. I had access to good and reliable health insurance. I had the ability to advocate for myself mm. and to make educated choices. So I still was so very privileged despite everything that was happening to me. Evidently, at first I concentrate in my own healing. No? So I, I was on a you know, survival mentality. But then I started to empathize with my fellow cancer patients. So I began to understand more clearly the disparity in my society. And I also start wonder whether I really deserve receiving such a special treatment mm. just because of my social standing. So after I recover, I began questioning my life. And I was like, what, what is cancer trying to tell me? And I start questioning both my lifestyle and my privileged circumstances in society. And I reflected upon my social role. And I said, okay, Giselle, you need to be challenged here, you know? Um, I wanted to experience the, and this is gonna sound kind of crazy, but it's so true. I wanted to experience the pressure of adapting to a new environment mm. as an outsider, a non-elite, basically. So I decided to prove it to myself, to prove to myself that I was capable of building my own path, not the path that my social status helped to determine. And then I moved to Seattle. <laughs> that was 2001. I moved to Seattle as soon as I fell. My health was under control. 
I was very aware of the gift of my new life. And I took it like as my renaissance, you know, my rebirth. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, Giselle, this is it. This is the turning point. You're about to turn 27. That is the perfect age to decide. Do I want it to continue my life as or do I want to move? Do I want to evolve? Do I want to move forward to find what's my true mission? And I did this with intentionality. I had to talk to my parents because my parents at first were not understanding why mm-hmm. I was living such a comfortable life to move to the United States of America out of all the countries in the world. <laughs> I mean, they thought I was going to go to Europe, right? You know, I grew learning about European culture. Uh, English wasn't even like English is my fourth language. So French is my second and I learned Portuguese. They couldn't understand why. I mean, is that loca, hija? Like, kind of like, <laughs> and I was like, you already have done so much for me. And I appreciate it. And I hold all the values I learned from you too in my heart. And I will continue to honor your legacy. But it's my time to fly. And it's my time to rediscover myself. Because, you know, when you're in crisis, you have also an identity crisis. So I didn't know who I was. I didn't know. I, I questioned so many things, you know. So obviously, like when I moved to Seattle, I encounter endless challenges, right? You can't imagine, you know, not only I have to learn a new language at age almost 30, not 29, I I have to build a new support system. I didn't have a past here. I I will look at places and they didn't tell me, say anything to me. Mm -hmm. I was lost. And also I have to establish a new identity in a new culture after living a very successful successful identity behind, you know, I was well, a very respected therapist, um, I graduate, you know, I was a member of the Peruvian School of Psychology, so I had all this reputation, and I didn't have anything here, mm-hmm. I was the same person, the very same person, but I was perceived completely different, mm-hmm. I suddenly was an elite, a working class, a woman of color, and I was like, wait a minute, not all, yeah, <laughs> wait a minute, so and then I I that's when I aligned to you know other fellow Latinos because I was Peruvian 100 percent and I I didn't identify as a Latina before I identify as a South America Mm-hmm. South American is like, okay, I, I identify with other Sugatas. I mean, that's my people. But I never saw myself as part of like a bigger group. And I had to do it because here, because I was called to, that's where I found community. Mm-hmm. And um, so, of course, I have, you know, homesickness and loneliness, uh, you know, as pervasive obstacles that were on the emotional level so this was like an emotional financial educational identity transformation so um when i went to college 
because I spoke languages from a very early age, I didn't have any problem learning the fourth one, right? And then I suddenly got an AA and I was like, what am I supposed to do with this? What is this? This is an associate of arts. So, you know, oh yeah, you can transfer to the university. So I had another BA and then I went and I, you know, I wanted to do my master's finally. And I chose social work because as a psychologist, I had the micro level practice. And then with my BA, I have the human rights. So the macro. But I say, like, there has to be something in between that I'm still not finding. And I can't go, you know, person with person, you know, by person. It's going to take forever. And macro is too big and the system is too complicated and I don't even understand it. And then the, I discovered that it was a, that there was, you know, a concentration and community center integrative practice. Mm-hmm. And that's the one I took. And then I graduated with a master's. I was like, wait a minute. There's a stark difference between you as an immigrant here and another immigrant who didn't choose to come here. Mm. You chose to come here. That's the big difference. So I felt like my social class was transcending international boundaries. And I said, okay, let's use that privilege then. Now I understand. How is it to be on the other side? And I decided to be, and I don't know whether I know how to say this word in English, una mediatrix. Um, mediatrix? Yes. Like a mediator, right? Like a mediator. But I like mediatrix. That's a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to be that. Uh, because I inhabit, and this is something that you mentioned also in your interview, I was inhabiting two worlds. Mm-hmm. I had two frameworks of reference, and I was betwixt and between, and like what Baba calls the third space. Uh, and I saw that as a powerful skill, as a powerful tool to have. So, and I said, which career is in that space? And I said, like, gotta be social work. So I decided to become a social worker and I decided to work with women because that's, you know, where my source of power and strength come from. And I wanted to, I wanted to honor my ancestors. Mm. And I wanted to, um, be nurtured by other women and and I wanted to you know have like a sisterhood um build stronger bonds and guide them to look and reclaim their power um fortify their organizing capacity and um love and forgive themselves so it was very rooted in love and intentionality and I knew this was my second opportunity and I didn't want to take it for granted yeah and that's it that's a beautiful 
story. Thank you so much um, for sharing, you know, the the core of who you are and what you've experienced and the journey that life has brought you to up into this day. I think something that stood out to me um, as you were talking, um, you talked about when you immigrated here to the U.S. and how you were the same person, but how everything around you was different. Um, and I, it, it spoke to me this, like this idea of how rooted we actually are in community. I think, you know, growing up here in the U.S., I, I felt like everything was so, you know, individualized. It was like, do what makes you happy, follow your dream. You know, it was all about like me, right? Like that's was like the core of like how things were growing up and what American, you know, U.S. society was kind of teaching me. And I've found that that almost like came into conflict with like being raised as a, you know, Filipino American, because we're such a communal, like <laughs> we're communal culture. And I think Latinos have a lot of that as well. Just this idea of like, you are not just you, it's not just about you. And um, it's just so amazing to me that you would leave your community to, you know, start literally, you know, from scratch after going through so many different things. And I just wonder, you know, what, what made that leap possible for you? I think a lot of people might go through a kind of a crisis and they lean into comfort and you kind of went in the other direction, right? You were like, I need to experience something completely different. And that, that is so interesting to me. What, can you speak a little bit about what, what, where you, where that place in your heart was like that kind of said, this is what I need to do, you know, because I feel like other people might have said, you know, now I'm going to go travel the world, I'm going to do all this other other stuff. And you chose challenge, you chose difficulty, you chose to put yourself in difficult spaces and painful spaces and to be in solidarity with suffering rather than to like rejoice that you were, you know, healed and now you want to do something else. Wow, that's a fascinating follow-up. Um, I, I must confess, and this is something very personal, that I that I have always taken the roads less traveled. And um, I have a sense of courage and strength that doesn't come uh, from me. It comes from I think a community of female ancestors that came before me. I feel like I have been chosen to pave a different path, to reclaim the strength, to heal. And I knew from a very early age that um, I had a very um, big, important mission in life, but I couldn't find it. I was like, where's that mission? So we, we, I, I, could, I receive a lot of signs and I was digging and digging without finding it. So, I realized when I became so vulnerable that that's where growth is born. 
And I wanted to put myself in a vulnerable possibility, position, not possibility, a vulnerable position to get the best from me, you know? And I did. And the story, you know, unfold itself. And I just chose to, to take, you know, on that task and to free other women mm. as I was freeing myself. And to retell the story of oppression, patriarchy, white supremacy, colonization. That was very, very clear for me, but I just couldn't find it. So I'm so glad <laughs> I move away from my comfort zone. And as I'm telling you, I exercise my power and privilege to do so because this is not an easy thing. Well, you talked about, you know, your desire to help, you know, women step into their power and to become free as you were becoming free. Can you talk a little bit about the work that you do? Because, you know, you work with IPJC, but that is not, that's just a part of, you know, many other things that you do um, as far as addressing justice and working for liberation. Can you talk a little bit about kind of the hands-on work that you're doing in the community? Mm -hmm. Of course I can. So just to clarify, I didn't use the word help. I um, purposely don't use it because I think it's, it's complicated. It just gets, I facilitate, mm. I guide. I don't have the power, and I truly believe that no one does, to help to change other people's life. I strongly believe in the human potential to decide what's best for them. Mm. And I honor that. I hold this space for them to open up, to view their beauty and to see themselves as agents of change. And um, I work as a mediator, as I said. I started um, working here at IPJC about 14 years ago. Um, I started my career as an intern actually from the University of Washington School of Social Work. And I was working on my MSW, my Master in Social Work um, with the concentration of community center integrative practice. So IPJC was my practicum site, my internship. And then I discovered that here there was a beautiful pro program called Justice for Women that had immense possibilities to be expanded. So I took on that challenge. Once again, uh, I wrote less trouble and uh, I shift the program completely. Uh, I took it outside of the boundaries of the US and uh, I developed other programs we had, which is our number one and very well-known Women's Justice Circle. It's an award-winning program to social rooted in social justice and Catholic social teachings and, and the teachings of like, you know, community building, community being in space, taking action, civic engagement, social participation, social change, basically. 
So we created the Women Leaders as a circle, and then I created the leadership development cohorts, and I started to, to create a series of conferences, workshops, forums, community dialogues, you know, legislative legislative actions and um, and we start growing and growing and growing and I've been doing that for for a while now that is one part of the story the other part is that I always perceive myself uh, as a storyteller as a mentor I needed to how should I say this I needed to give back to my university and I wanted to create something new I was very aware of the gaps um, in academia, <laughs> and I accepted a challenge, a beautiful challenge. So I joined the University of Washington School of Social Work faculty, and I was tasked with the job of creating a class from scratch. So I was a CCIP alumna, and I needed to create a core class for the CCIP concentration. CCIP stands for community, community center integrative practice. So I was like, oh my God, I get to create my own class. This is my own baby and my gift to my future colleagues. And I did. With the help of my mentors, my favorite professors of color, my ancestors, with the help of God, and with my own intuitive power, I designed the class and I created a class that was a pilot for a quarter and then now is now a mandatory class for second year students who, who choose that as a concentration. So, and I get to teach it, you know, mm -hmm. which is the beautiful part. Nice. Um, so I requested form of permission from this organization to teach the class. It's just a once a year, every fall, you know, class and it's just the most beautiful experience that I could ever have asked for because these are my future colleagues so this is an investment that's going to pay off and it's going to multiply and that's what I want about this job this community work is because it's just the ripples of effect you know that you know our work has and the power you know to um, transform mm. So I love that. And then recently, like a year ago, I was um, invited to join another challenge. <laughs> this was harder because my challenges continue to get harder and harder because I want more and more and more. So this was another beautiful gift that I think that is coming straight from my paternal side. Uh, they were farm workers, uh, my maternal uh, grandmother. My excuse me, my paternal mm -hmm. grandmother was a campesina, so I got uh, the incredible task to uh, be able to work with a group of farm workers from rural Washington, specifically from Yakima, Granger, Sunnyside, Toppenish, Titan. The position has a weird name, but I'm going to say it. it's a master trainer, and it's a lot. It's, it's a lot to unpack. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say it, but how I see myself is not as a master training because I'm not the master here. I'm not the expert. Yeah. I have the immense privilege to transform myself through the wisdom 
these campesinas, these farm workers. So what I do is I train them to become peer-to-peer -peer trainers, and we have adapted a curricula that um, does um, sexual assault prevention in the fields. Um, just wanted to clarify, this is outside my role as Justice for Women at IPJC, as the UDAP um, experience. They're both outside. You know, as you said, you know, we were, we were many, many heads. So, um, and as a woman of color, I have a lot of responsibilities to give back to community. So this is my gift to the Pachamama. <laughs> this is my my gift to to my paternal ancestors. This is my paying back to the earth and and to honor the workers who happen to be invisible, who happen to be seated outside of the decision-making tables. Yeah. And that's the community that I work with. The majority of them are so-called marginalized yeah. women in transition, survivors of DV, domestic violence, sexual assault, women in prison, workers, undocumented, immigrants, refugees. That's a beautiful thing. You know, I, it's, it's interesting because I can totally relate with what you're saying. You know, you, you do certain justice work, you know, maybe as a job and you just end up kind of <laughs> adding more and more things on. But I think it really just speaks to how, you know, one, necessary the work is, but number two, you know, the power of community, right? Because I, I love that you said you don't consider yourself like the master or an expert or even, you know, the, the use of the word helper, um, you know, but just this idea that we all have a power within us and, you know, based on your culture or your social status or, you know, here in the U.S., your immigration status, all these different things that really influence your ability to see your own power and to tap into that um, and to come alive in that is is something that you know, we take for granted when we do have that. Um, and I just love that you've really found ways to connect to the community in such a, such a deep level, you know, that's, that's just such an exciting thing. You've talked about, you know, your ancestors, you've talked about, you know, important people in your life. You've talked about, you know, being Peruana. How, how would you say that, you know, your cultural identity, however it is that you identify, you've named a number of, you know, different possibilities there, um, or things that you consider sacred and important to you as far as roots. How does that cultural identity inform the way that you carry out your justice work? Because I think, you know, I think that has a lot to do with how we kind of show up in spaces and what we hold to be important. So how, how does that, um, your cultural identity, one, like, what do you consider your, or what the the main staples of your cultural identity, if you will, um, and how does that influence how you carry out your work? Another beautiful question. Uh, so, I'm a proud Peruvian. That's absolutely evident in everything I do. So I am a Latina. I'm a very very proud Peruvian, and I'm a multilingual, multicultural. <laughs> Um, multiracial. I have Afro-descendants, ancestors. I have indigenous ancestors. I have white. I have every color in me. I don't fix. I don't fit in a box. I don't understand the binary. The binary doesn't work for me. Any 
binary. And uh, so I'm both and. I'm a both and. And because of that, and a person, I am a person who acts differently, who feels differently, who leads and speak from her heart, who is very aware of her privilege because I still carry a lot of privilege. I'm a person who loves deeply and unconditional. A woman who kisses her loved ones in the cheek, who touches, who hugs, you know, who speaks truth to power, who doesn't avoid conflict nor hard conversations. I actually want that. I dig that. I am honest and I'm wild and I'm loud and I'm fierce and I'm unapologetic and unafraid. And I'm a sower of seeds. That's very clear. I'm a sower of seeds of change. A woman deeply, deeply committed to social work. Um, and I consider myself an agent of change. So um, I'm a firm believer that together we can do more. And that's why I chose community work. I don't do community. I am community. Mm. And this is one thing that I don't understand that in the English language, which actually, to be very honest, um, is not the language of my heart. One day you have to promise that you will interview me in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> Gracias. But in the English language, there's this thing about building community, right? Never understood that. And I teach community to my students, right? I do that. So I was like, this thing about building community as if community is something outside of you doesn't resonate with my cultural identity because I am community. I am. Community is a way of being in space. So I always have to remember that because what community means to me doesn't necessarily mean to you. So I'm very aware of how the nuances of understanding each other might influence influence the way we connect. Mm. But because I speak several languages and each language each is, is a different framework of reference, I don't have only one framework, framework, framework of reference. I have many. And that's another powerful gift for me. So I believe and I honor the, the mission I was given. And I'm, I am very, very proud of myself and very grateful for to have had the courage to reroute and to have found a more meaning, meaningful, a more intentional way to live and to be in service. And I move through this space with all, you know, my messiness, all my beautiful um, self, all the, you know, the power that I carry the understanding that I hold, the vision and the mission that I have been assigned. And I connect energetically because I need to find a way to transcend language, to transcend boundaries. And I felt that my body is the site of resistance. Mm. So I connect through my body, from my source of power. And I just dance at the tune of the community. I am very intentional in putting the community at the center of everything I do. And I can't 
understand organizations that are so-called community center and they never ever ask their communities, never, because that takes time, it gets complicated. So I, I still don't understand and that's attention for me, you know? Who do you work for? Because, you know, I have mentioned three different, three different employers in like, <laughs> from an American perspective, but from my perspective, I have the same employer, mm-hmm. the community. That's my employer. Who do you work for? Is one of the biggest questions I had to ask myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I do appreciate different frequencies, different rhythms, different styles, you know, this between and betwixt. So dancing is my own way of healing my way to connect to my roots, to my inner power, and to be grounded um, in the present. And I just, you know, walk as a dancer. I just feel, I lead from my heart. And when you lead from your heart, the community trusts you almost immediately. They know that you're honest because this community that happen to be marginalized, it is very difficult for them to trust. Mm-hmm. So when they can feel you, when they can hear you speaking straight to their hearts, they open up. Mm-hmm. And I'm one of them, even though my cultural identity must be different. My, you know, my baggage might be different. I'm just person to person, you know, and we connect. And in that beauty is when change, the possibility of change arises. That's beautiful. I think it really embodies what you said, right? This, this idea of building community. You are community. <laughs> so when people meet you, because that's the energy that you put out and that's how you carry yourself within, people sense that, right? There's nothing to build because <laughs> we're in community because that's what you embody. And that's just such a beautiful thing um, to experience because it's almost as if the barriers when you think of I have to build community, that means a lot of work and and lead up and all of this other stuff. But it's like, well, if I am community, then we are in community, <laughs> then right? Then we can just exactly. be in community. We don't have to think about the building part. Um, and it almost, you know, it's just like a hurdle you have to jump when you think you have to build it rather than mm-hmm. I I am it. Um, and that's that's a beautiful way, I think, to to approach the work. And thank you for naming, you know, this question of who do you work for? I just think that's so important for anyone who is employed in a position for justice. You know, I think that's a tension that can arise frequently. You know, you're, you're tied to your employer, you're tied to your, you know, whatever grant is giving you funding, whatever it is, right. There's all these extra questions and to, to root yourself in that idea of who do I work for? Um, that I think is just something so central um, that that I like to ask myself every so often too. Whenever I'm doing work, is you know what what are what's really important to me? Who do I really care about um, in these situations? Um, now, kind of switching gears, but not too much. You've talked a little bit about God and faith and ancestors. What for you, you know, on a personal level, what is the relationship between faith and justice for you? I think my faith in humanity, my faith in the power of mother nature, my faith in the power of my ancestors, and my faith in God are my most important pillars. 
they're my guides. They're my, my sources of this inspiration. So well, I, I have a deep connection to God, but I was never asked whether I wanted to be Catholic. I was baptized almost right away. <laughs> I was born November 18th and baptized January 6th. And I know the day of my baptism because many, many people don't. I know because I celebrated my baptism every year. And then I went to Catholic school, but that was led by priests. But the priests that led my school, oh, God, God bless them. They were rad. They were liberal. They were not the priests I met in other parts of the world. <laughs> my church is a different church. And I'm just, that's all I want to say about this. And I'm sure people who have been in Latin America understands exactly what I'm saying. My connection is with God. And my God is, is a good God. It's, it's a God for all. Amen. Amen. Well, that leads to my next question, which I think you spoke a little bit about it. Um, and if you know, if you don't feel like you want to answer it, that's okay too. But what what is a tension that you feel or experience in your justice work? And how do you deal with or handle with that that tension, whatever it may be? Because you know, a lot of times I think people see this very glorified. Um, and romanticized idea of what it is, you know, to work in the realm of social justice and it's mm -hmm. activism and, you know, it's this and we're fighting the power. And I think folks who work, who work in that space every day know it's not always that if, if more often not that. Um, mm -hmm. So what are some of the tensions or the challenges that, that you are feeling or experiencing and how do you handle that? Because you've been in this work for a very long time. Well, this is my jam. I absolutely love this question. <laughs> and I think this is the beginning of the revolution. This is it. And this can be an entire episode, you know? Um, as an outsider, once again, because I don't feel like I'm from here. And I've been living here for 20 years. Uh, and my understanding of, hope, uh, of home has changed, has been, you know, has, has switched but I still don't feel like I'm at home here. Uh, the first tension will always be, who do you work for? Are you perpetuating the status quo while working for social justice and social change? That will be my first question. Are you centering the community in your work? Are you truly listening without thinking, what will you reply? Are you actually intentionally being in the prison with that person without any other worry? Are you deeply connecting and or are you making assumptions? Are you being prejudiced? What is informing the way you're acting? All those questions that help us to dig digger, you know, and to have a layout of our privilege and the way their intersectionality of our oppressions you know, the knowing yourself first before you want to encounter someone else, to speak from your source of power, to tell your truth. Are you capable of telling your truth? Many times I have felt that there is a disconnect between charity and social change. 
I feel that many organizations will rather choose charity instead of social change. And I'm not saying that charity is something wrong. I actually believe that it's very important, but by itself, it's not enough. There are many grantors that push organizations to choose charity over social change because they don't give as many grants for social change organizations. That is, to me, one of the biggest tensions because you, as you said, you tend to choose the less traveled road, right? You tend to choose the easy road yeah. and the easy road is charity. But is charity liberating or is it creating a codependency. Mm. I, your savior, the helper, the know-it-all, want to give you what you need in order to keep living. That's sort of like the story I hear behind all the time. So why don't we teach them to fish? Mm. Why don't we spend more time in social change? This is precisely why I chose social change over charity. I think it's very important. And there's already too many people, too many organizations doing charity work. So we need to start seeing what is beneath. So how can we change the structures of oppression? You know, the oppressive. How can we change the oppressive structures that divide us? Mm. We need to to see ourselves as agents of change. We need to continue to give the community the power to retell their stories. We need to decolonize. And that is hard. That takes a lot of courage. But it's the best investment for me. And it's, it's very hard to prove. But who do we work for? Mm. The grantors? The one that tell us, oh, you can only work in 98115, 98177, and 98101. Are those our employers? So, what about our morals, our values, our faith? Those are the tensions that I'm seeing. Who are the true experts? It's another big one. Am I? the expert because I have two VAs and one master do I know better that the community that experience struggles on a daily basis those are the tensions that I continue to to feel so I think like it's very important that we speak about them mm-hmm. because that can totally reframe our understanding of social justice and refuel the choices we make. Yeah, totally. And those, I mean, those are good questions to bring into spaces too, where they're not typically asked, right? I mean, (laughs) talk about causing trouble, right? Those those are troublemaking questions. I will name that. So (laughs) I I told you I'm unapologetic and unafraid. Yeah, they're good. Like those are the questions we need to ask, you know, ourselves and each other and to hold one another accountable. Um, you know, to the community that we claim to serve, you know, those are the questions we have to continually ask ourselves. So thank you for naming that. Um, to, you know, we're wrapping up our time now and I could really talk to you forever. Um, so we're just going to have to talk offline and connect otherwise non-recorded. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, just to, to 
close us off, you know, a lot of people might be listening and thinking, you know, how, what is a helpful way, a meaningful way, or maybe not helpful. What, what's a good way to really engage in justice work? You've named, right, that charity on its own, right, can can be problematic. Um, for someone who's maybe looking for ways to start on this justice journey or maybe continue their justice journey, do you have any recommendations or like of, you know, maybe one or two tips of things that you would encourage our listeners to do um, to, you know, deepen or further the the justice work or the roots, uh, the seeds that are being planted in their hearts? Another very wise question, very difficult. I need to think <laughs> what I'm going to say. Um, it might sound simple, but it's very, very difficult to do in my opinion. I think that regarding the ways our listeners can learn more and get involved, one very important thing to do is to be intentional with your words and your actions. So you need to model by example. You have to lead with your truth. And I cannot tell you what your truth is because you know what your truth is. You know what is best for you. You need to take care of yourself first in order to take care of others. In order to be in the presence of others and be fully vulnerable, fully honest, fully present. My second piece of advice will be let go of your assumptions and prejudices and stop generalizing and stereotyping and engage for heaven's sake, just engage in conversation, see the invisible, you know, connect, find the stories behind and reciprocate, always, always reciprocate. You have, you always have to tell your story first as you did Cecilia, you haven't told your story. I was not going to be willing to tell mine. And um, use your privilege, the third one. I, I added a third one. Use your privilege. Because probably a lot of the people that I'm going to be listening to this, you know, episode are very privileged. Use your privilege to support and to advocate for causes that support the underprivileged. Don't speak for them. Hmm. Let them tell their truth support, follow their leadership. Give yourself the immense privilege of having a meaningful, healthy, productive interaction and life. And understand the, and honor the true interconnection of all beings. Lead with love. Go back to love. We're all you know, sources of love. Whoever your God is, whoever your inner power lies, wherever it lies, we're sources of love. Lead with love. Whatever you do, do it with love. And it's going to be way better. It's going to be fulfilling. It's going to make you a better person. And that is going to help to heal. It has, you know, you are a collective. You know, see yourself as a collective of people. We are each other's hope. Mm. Oh, 
thank you so much for that. I'm like, I needed that. <laughs> that was good for my soul. <laughs> I'm sure it was good for so many others as well. And um, first of all, thank you. And I just want to honor you for opening your heart and sharing your story and your truth um, with me personally and with all the folks who will be listening to this. Um, and, you know, we'll keep you and the community that you're working with, the women that you work with, um, in our thoughts and prayers and support and whatever the thank ways you. Uh, that we can. But thank you so much, Giselle. All the very best, Cecilia. Keep on shining. The Inner Community Peace and Justice Center is sponsored by 24 Catholic religious congregations. Grounded in the charisms of our sponsoring congregations and Catholic social teaching, we build community to act for systemic change in our church and world. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Any notes or references from the interview can be found on our website at ipjc.org slash justice rising. You can follow IPJC's work on Instagram at IPJC Seattle. If you like this episode, please consider donating to support our work at ipjc.org as well as hitting the subscribe button to follow along wherever you get your podcasts.